0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at Mintmobile.com/slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full turns at Mintmobile.com.
1: Warning. 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 Trigger, Trigger alert. alert. She about to say some real shit. <laughs> Happy Monday! Who's getting ready for Art Basel? Who's a-buzzling? I am not. I am not going to Art Basel because now I am a merchant and I need to be at my store every day in December because it is holiday shopping time, kids. So come on down. We got something for everyone from $2. To a Cosmelian, depending on your, uh, your taste level. Today's guest is one of the most influential people, both in fashion and in graffiti. Somebody who takes style very seriously. Someone who has mentored countless people. Really somebody I can't make a move without. Conferring with someone who's so seminal in my career, both as a, a, a writer and as a business person. Someone who was a graffiti child prodigy. Someone who is a streetwear pioneer. Someone who is a like graffiti letter style pioneer and who has taken his crew, to the top of the mountain with his love and nurturing all the while that really helped all these seeds grow. Please welcome West.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
1: I want to talk to you about growing up in New York City mm-hmm. in the in the 70s you were born in the late 60s as we said
0: 69 yeah
1: 69 Summer of love what was New York City like from a, a child's point of view
0: Well I think in as a child I think growing up in the upper side you know I remember New York being rich rich in you know in culture um the neighborhoods you know, the area around where I grew up still hadn't been fully gentrified. So even places now that we would never consider as being like kind of rough, like 82nd Street and Columbus Avenue, which when I was a little kid was seedy and crazy. And, you know, there was heroin and drugs and shit like that. I think Columbus was rough. Yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of the neighborhood was still, it was, I remember it being safe, even though my parents didn't think it was, but I remember feeling, you know, I walked around the, the whole neighborhood, everything from, you know, 59 to 86 with total freedom. Um, well,
1: parenting was a lot different. It then.
0: was, it was. But um, So
1: how old were you wandering around New York I, City? I started
0: really wandering, I guess, at around, in my neighborhood, probably around eight. Around
1: eight. You know,
0: eight. around eight, like nine, eight, nine. I was sort of like getting lost in Central Park. Um, you know, just my mother would send me to, you know, 10 blocks away to... To supermarket to get you know strawberries cheaper than they were on my block that kind of thing. Um, oh, Jewish mothers. Her her concern wasn't really about danger; it was more about getting hit by a car. So it was really you know the concern was very different. Of course, that changed in you know with the you know advent of crack and the beginnings of uh, you know eighty four around there things got totally different. Um, and at that time also in my neighborhood things started changing. Real estate changed. Um, neighborhood, you know, people were moving out the old community that I kind of grew up knowing, um, changed, start to change. So things shifted dramatically in the eighties, but in the seventies was, was great.
1: So you're eight years old wandering around. What brought you to graffiti and how old were you? Cause graffiti, you were, a, you were a child prodigy. I
0: think, um, I, I There's different parts, different aspects, but I guess my first attraction was when I started going to junior high school. I'm born in January, so I was young. I was 11 when I started junior high school, and I had to get on trains for the first time regularly. And when I got on trains, I remember, I didn't know it then, but what I was looking at was Dez, Scheme, Zephyr, Revolt. I was seeing all these sort of iconic, you know, simple style um, graffiti trains that I was just like, man, you know. I was immediately attracted to it. I wanted to know what it was. I had no idea about the culture or where it came from. None of it. I just knew I liked it. Right. And, uh, you know, I was I was always into drawing and illustration and stuff. So that just seemed right. I, I guess at 11, I started writing my name. And,
1: and what was your name then?
0: My first, like the first graffiti name when I really yeah, figured yeah, out yeah. that it was a thing yeah. was Craze. Oh, I was good, probably what? 11, 11 and a half my friend and I were like, yeah, we're going to go right on 72nd Street in Riverside. There's a tunnel that leads you into the park. And, the we're, like, tunnel, and we're right? the Freedom Tunnel. no not the Freedom oh, Tunnel. Not no, the no, freedom just a tunnel. small little tunnel that like was a threshold. Oh, I it's know like, what you're talking and about. And I was like, we're yes. going to paint that whole thing. We didn't know anything. And we went to get, um, I don't even know where and how we got this. We didn't buy it. Um, and we didn't steal. I'm not sure, but we got a can of paint. And I went on in that tunnel and tried to write, do a piece. Crazy. Of course, I didn't know anything about, you know, how to use paint or anything. So... Yeah, I was just attracted to it. It wasn't until years later when I was 14 that I actually was introduced to real graffiti. That was just more of an observation from afar.
1: Okay, so near uh, in New York City, it's sort of a rite of passage for all kids to sort of write graffiti at some point or another from, you know, about sixth grade until high school, right? So Craze was getting up with tags here no, and there in the neighborhood?
0: No, no, this was like... No tags in the neighborhood. This was literally like an 11-year-old kid not knowing anything and just mimicking, you know, what he, d- I, again, I knew nothing. I didn't know that there were crews. I didn't know that there was sure. styles. I didn't know that. I knew nothing. All I knew was spray paint. And, again, looking at these trains I saw every day, you know, um, these kind of masterpieces that was just my everyday experience. And I, was, I wanted to do it. But I knew no, I didn't know how to. So, so it was just, what
1: was your sort of entree into real graffiti? The
0: beginning, I, for me, it came in two stages. The first stage was my first as a freshman in high school. When I was 14, I met kids from the Bronx, uh, Pleas and the last who were, again, toys at the time, but had begun to motion tag on the ones. And they were like, yeah, they're getting up. And they knew how to make a mop. They knew about markers. They knew they had a lot of knowledge that I didn't have. So they were the first ones to be like, you want to go bombing? You want to like ride the train with us in the back car and wait till everyone gets off the train and like throw tags? And that's when it first kind of was like, oh, there's a science to this. There's a there's a whole world, of, you know, around graffiti that I kind of just began to get exposed to.
1: Right. And a lot of do-it-yourself stuff.
0: Yeah. And I started like, I don't even remember. I don't think I had a name, but that's also the same year I met Keo, who at the time was from Brooklyn, but had a lot of knowledge and experience about graffiti. And he basically, I guess my first lesson was, if you're going to write graffiti, you have to have a name. You have to come up with a name that's yours. So he basically was like, come up with some names that have good letters and that you like. So I, I remember really clearly... Making a list of names and thinking about it for like two days. And I I brought it to him and I was like, yo, these are the names I like. And he was like, Nope, that one's taken. You know, this kid's down with TOP. Nope, there's a guy from RTW that writes, you know, and he's like, This one, West, that one's not taken.
1: And what was your attraction to the to the word West? I don't
0: honestly know. Looking back, I don't I, I wasn't I didn't have a opera West side. No, you weren't I, like I didn't, I didn't have a, a <laughs> passionate feeling okay. for that name. I just came up with names that sounded good, that I liked the letters. I was a little afraid of a W, like of how to, how to, how to rock a W. You're not more
1: afraid of like a T, a rigid T it's and sort, a rigid I mean, E? I, again,
0: but this shows okay. you where my head was at. I uh-huh. wasn't knowledgeable enough to be afraid of a T. You know what I mean? I was I was just kind of like, W, is that weird? You know. But I, I came up with this name and he basically signed off on like, that is a name that in the world of graffiti has not been taken. It's yours. So from that moment on, I was like, I got a name. I'm good. And when we started motion tagging, those were the first days. This was like 83 that I first started like bombing. And then the next phase was when Please and Alas got down with this crew from Yonkers. It was more of a gang, but this crew called FC, who I didn't know any of those guys, but they were like a gang that were like, yeah, we know about the trains. We know 225th Street layup. So they took me to the layup for the first time. Wow. And that's, you know... Which is the elevated two twenty fifth street layup on, on the ones. And that's when FRS actually bombed, you know.
1: And so you were you were painting
0: Not painting, just ink. I just mean for ink. the first and year.
1: Insides, outsides, everything?
0: Mostly insides. The kid one of the kids from FC, the original guys, was a guy who wrote Raz, who would kinda king the ones for a while, but he was the first dude who ever showed me a key. So he had the key. So he took us car by car opening the doors like, you know, just bombing. But we were again we were toys, so we didn't know about like perm spots and you know we were just like bombing maps had anything we could we could bomb we would and um yeah that was that was my first intro to like real graffiti
1: so then were you at home sort of perfecting your letter style so that you can start piecing so when did you transition from sort of like a inside writer into a outside piecer
0: I had a, like, my, I had a really dramatic story that kind of really was my real intro. That layup experience was just, like, I'm bombing, and I, but what happened is one day, um, toward the end of my first year of school, I came out of school one day, and, like, a girl I knew was like, yo, you know, some guys are looking for you, and then a couple of my friends were like, yo, man, you gotta hide out, there's some, like, Dominican ball busters, there. they're here to get you, and I, I mean, it was, I kept hearing this from, like, and I was like, oh, shit, what's going on, and... Then my my first partner at the time, Serge, came up to me and was like, Yo, man, he he pulled me aside and was like, Yo, you see that dude over there? That dude writes Flight. He's down with At the time there was a a division of the Ballbusters from 134th Street called the Fully Down Boys. And they were like just a crew. They were, of, fully they down. were a gang of Ball bu- <laughs> You know, they were and at the time ballbusters and Zulu Nation had beef, and a lot of the kids I knew were Zulu Nation kids. Okay. So I, I I just immediately assumed that maybe they were I, di- I didn't totally understand, but I was—I basically hid. I was like, yo, those dudes, were they, you know, they had like bats and shit. They right. were robbing kids, taking their black books. And I knew there was a graffiti connection. I didn't totally understand. But then the second day, they came again, the third day. And I think after like four days, and the dean of my school actually pulled me aside after the third day and was like, listen, your friends are not your friends. You know, these are like, these guys do- deal drugs and carry guns. These are, you know, and I, again, this was all sort of like things I was not really aware of. And finally on the fourth day, I was like, they're going to find me, you know? And I just kind of meekly walked up to flight and I was like, yo, I'm West." Like I fessed up, like it's me. And he was like, cool, you got to come with me and, you know, and meet my boy. And I was like, what about? And he's like, you went over my homeboy's a piece on 135th street. Now I knew I hadn't because I wouldn't have had the nerve to go paint on 135th street by myself. Okay. So it wasn't me, but turns out he brought me down you know, I walked with him and maybe six or seven other dudes down 135th Street. And all my friends were like waving, like, bye. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> can I have your shit, you know? But um, so I went and I met this dude, Spook. And right away when flight finally was like, yo, Spook, this is him. Spook had already, and this was like my first realization of like the power of a crew in graffiti. Spook was like, that's him. He's good. And I was like, You know, it was. So why
1: do you think he gave you a pass? I know
0: because he went to school with Thud, who was the original president of F.C.
1: Ah, good to have friends. And
0: Thud had told him, like, "Yo, it wasn't West. It couldn't have been West. You know, he's just a kid. He's a toy. He's trying to come up. You know, he kind of like." And so that right after that was like understood. Flight was like, "Yo, you want to go bombing tonight?" And flight at that time was like the enforcer at 145th Street. Like he had. That tunnel in fear.
1: So I think a lot of people that listen to this and that look, sort of think of themselves as experts on graffiti don't really know about the train writing politics that were happening throughout the '80s. Mm. That you couldn't go into certain train oh, yeah. yards. They were owned by a certain crew. They were enforced. It was it was a very hostile and yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, at that time, 145th Street was notorious for a few reasons. One. Because as I said, it was just the beginnings of like the crack world and like gangs. And it wasn't so much about graffiti as the crews, the graffiti crews, which was the Spanish 5, FBA, NTA, those crews that ran 145th Street were down with gangs, with actual dudes who like carried guns and would come down in a minute if you had a problem. So a lot of folks from not that area would come to the ones and get robbed including rtw a lot of like famous robberies occurred in 145th street where like legendary graffiti writers got stuck up and like stripped you know so people knew like 145th street had a reputation of like you cannot go in there if you are not down with someone if you are not one of these you know so when i walked in their flight was like yo this is my boy West, this is you know, Ravon and Shaman from NTA. This is Tack and K's, and this is you know, he took so all you were indoctr-
1: the, uh, indoctrinated in. Easy. So, was that your spot that now you were like, okay, I'm um, this right. is my
0: so at that, that time, then I was like, damn, like I just I mean, I was given a gift because most other kids who try to, you know, would never have had that kind of access. So, for me, that was like. You know, and right away I was like, "Yo, surge! Yo, please!" Like I started inviting my friends, and again, we were kind of at that time still young and coming up. So we had kind of the protection at that time in the early days of of FBA and flight and those dudes. So, and simultaneously that same year, Thud was like, "Yo, I'm stopping gr- writing graffiti. You can start a chapter of FC in Manhattan." like he was kind of like within that year I had kind of grown a lot and he was like yo you can put kids down in Manhattan if you want and that sort of was the beginning of the very very early beginning of FC on So let's,
1: let's talk about FC mm. uh has a lot of notable members mm. including yourself and Dash of course the infamous cause mm. Surge which has he has five names Zulu shout out mm-hmm. Bluster.
0: I mean, generation. Psycho. Psycho, Zeer, Zane. I mean, there's a bunch, you know, there's different folks from different eras, basically.
1: And is FC closed?
0: Pretty much. I mean, yes and no. But one thing we've had, which I think maybe only three or four other New York City graffiti crews have ever had is we've transcended kind of generations. You know, most crews kind of live and die in a eight to 10 year period, they come up, they've got like legendary figures, they decline and they fade. The thing about FC is we had a life in the eighties on the subways. We had a life in the nineties doing pretty big productions. And we've always had this sort of ethos of, and it wasn't really a plan of just like putting young kids on and, you know, um, apprenticing young people. So new kids come up and they, they sort of, uh, you know, they, kind of carry the torch it's it wasn't a plan but i think we've i wouldn't say it's 100 percent closed and there's it's just because um you know but there I,
1: hasn't been any new membership not until. for a long time. long time not for a long
0: time and, I, and again i i what i mean is it pretty much is but if there was a young talent that came up and was like yo i and he was sort of down with someone who was official and wanted to kind of rep we might be like yo cool it would take extraordinary you know circumstances but yeah for the most part i'd say it's probably it's closed
1: you know one of my gripes about uh graffiti as a culture is that we're not the elder statesman but we're uh, kind of old <laughs> and and our sort of elder statesman is that we have sort of turned our back on the on the young mm. a little bit and it's it's good to hear that you know fc is still looking out for the best and the brightest
0: yeah i mean for me i, I feel like every crew just like every artist every musician has a a moment, you know, and it's important to recognize your moment and the moment of others. So sometimes, like, I know for me, let's say with graffiti, my moment has come. It passed, you well, know? Well,
1: I was going to ask you now, a lot of mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. in this culture mm-hmm. peak too young, mm-hmm. right? Could have been you. Mm-hmm. You could have sort of lived off of your props mm-hmm. as a 14-year-old Graffiti writer mm. and all these adventures, right? Because the world is completely different. You walk into a train layup, you're you have to worry about um police dogs and the MTA cops. You don't really have to worry about the Vamp squad or mm-hmm. what changed your focus away from illegal graffiti.
0: Well, I mean we were lucky because we were the last real generation to paint subways, at least on the IRT. So we had to stop painting because there were no more trains. Like the, at that point, the silver trains started to come in. Um, they started setting up cameras and they had, po- you know, police stations at both sides of the tunnel. So it was, for us, it was kind of like subway graffiti was dead and we weren't going to go paint in like Brooklyn or, you know, or in another place where we weren't from or familiar. So we, that was kind of the the end. Then I went away to school. So that four-year period was kind of like subway graffiti ended. And it wasn't until I came back in 92 that, like, we sort of re-rose in terms of, like, mural production in in New York. Indeed.
1: But in those four years that you were in college Mm -hmm. working on your degree and Mm -hmm. being a serious student, were you also sort of... Doing graffiti exercises, making stickers, drawing in black books, writing letter, uh, you know what I mean? Like making letter formations. I
0: think I was always, I mean, at that point, I was always constantly piecing, just constantly developing styles, but wasn't doing anything active in public. It was more like I was in school. um, And I felt always kind of like, and I'm sure a lot of graffiti writers can relate, subway writers was the people around me would live normal teenage lives they had like done drugs or hung out at parties and you know but me i was like
1: you did it all no it wasn't that
0: it wasn't that <laughs> come on admit it. but but the but the but the the experiences i had just had where i was coming to school with was like you know you like you were like a grown right you're like
1: a grown man yeah. like in war yeah and was, you're like hey hey kids let's yeah. uh let's have a study group
0: yeah no it was just like a different kind of you know i would i would They would ask you to write about, like, tell it, you know, write a story about. And I would be writing about, like, you know, getting jumped or running through tunnels or smoking dust blunts or whatever it was. And people were like, "Are you making this shit up?" You know, but it was that was just what we lived, and it was a different, um, it was different than the experience of the other people I was there with. You know.
1: So when you came back from school, ninety-two trains are dead, crazy people bombing the streets. Mm. It was a very strange transitional time for graffiti because I think a lot of people felt very displaced when the mm-hmm. when the trains mm-hmm. stopped and um, you know myself being a, a street writer it was sort of like you were like the lowest of the low like mm. the train writers didn't respect you because if you didn't get up on trains mm-hmm. and you know they they weren't giving you time of day how did you move into doing murals, which I, in my humble opinion, were some of the most incredible, m- meaningful murals uh, from the early to mid-90s.
0: Well, when I came back, the the thing that I think had a big effect on that was literally the day, I, like, right when I graduated, around that time, I ran into Zulu, to Surge, who was my graffiti partner, who had just begun to start a company called PMB Nation with some other kids. And they were like printing T-shirts, and they were like, "Oh, you should get down with us." And you know, and I think PNB had a profound effect on FC because the way PNB, the way the group of us were thinking, was about um, cultural criticism and about messaging. And so we kind of applied a lot of that thinking to graffiti. So we weren't—we immediately were like, "We're not going to just go do a, a wall and write our names with like splashy colors." We were like, "We're going to do a wall." With a theme and a concept and a message, and we're going to like do it the way we would treat a graphic, the way we would treat a a message. So we those two PNB and FC were like bouncing ideas back and forth, and I think that had a really big effect on the nature of what we were painting.
1: So for uh, you newbies that don't know about PNB, it is one of the two first streetwear brands ever in this culture that is obsessed with streetwear, let's hear it for, for King West, for (laughs) his, no, 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 anyway, whatever. You're like, what's up with your company, Mm. right? And then how did you get involved?
0: I think these guys were just like, you know, my degree was in political science and international studies. And I kind of came back and they were like, you want to print t-shirts? And I was like, bet. (laughs) (laughs) Like I immediately, you know, my intellectually and, you know, from a, from a, um, being a student, uh, I was interested in what I was studying, but, I immediately snapped back into like my younger self being like, yeah, graphics, communication, like it all made sense. So I think they were just like, yo, let's get down. And we knew nothing about business at the time. It was more like, yeah, it's cool. You know, we just... Printed t-shirts, sold them ourselves. We were, you know, it was very kind of But
1: like, P&B mm. was very... It was was steeped in in revolutionary thinking. Totally. In, in black power thinking. It was... In,
0: I'd say it was, you know, the thing is each of us grew up in homes. Like in my home, you know, first of all, the group of us was, you know, Jewish, Puerto Rican, Jamaican, Japanese, African-American. We had came from these really mixed uh, backgrounds, but the one consistent was... We all grew up in very politicized homes where counterculture, revolution, um, social justice, things like this were taught to us as kids. So each one of us shared this, like, you know, um, my mother was marching in Washington, you know, protesting the Vietnam War. Uh, Zulu's parents, you know, his grandmother was a very well-known activist, Yuriko Chiyama. We all came from these places where we were like, yeah, shit's fucked up. This is the post-crack like environment we were in and hip hop and uh, the the culture was thinking. Everybody was thinking. There was a consciousness about like something's fucked up because we were all coming out of the ashes of like the late 80s. Right, and, the Reagan era. And just how fucked right. up things were. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of like, this is a chance to send messages. And, you know, the idea of irony and T-shirts and graphics that were like serious but fun, <laughs> you know, that, that whole concept of like sugarcoating powerful messages, we... We we drilled down on that and we tried to like, and we always called at the time internally, we were like, this is thinking man's clothing. This is like for people who are thinking and, y- you know, young people were thinking. So they were like, damn, that shit is fucking dope. Like I, I get that, you know, and it a lot, of, a lot it, of them it, were not it, it was obvious and some were obvious, but the ones that weren't, we found like we were attracting people both in in the world of hip-hop and outside of the world of hip-hop who are, like, musicians, artists, folks, you know, people in fashion who are like, what you're doing is different, so.
1: It moved quickly from printed T-shirts into cut and sew.
0: Yeah. I think that was, for me personally, and, you know, we've debated this, but that was the demise, like, because we were not businessmen. Right. We didn't know shit about, like, the industry. I mean, we learned it the hard way. Well,
1: yeah, because you you got, like, you know, put through the Garmento... You know, rigmarole yeah. of like squeezing, you know, until it's completely but dry. But also, I
0: mean, we like, you know, we educate ourselves. Like, I spent a good three years traveling to factories around the world. I was in India and China and El Salvador and Turkey and learning about making fabrics and, you know, cutting and sewing and shipping garments and duties and customs. And, you know, but, you know, when you play big, you know, you risk big. So I think we, we learned. I don't know if we learned a lesson, but we experienced growing too quick. We went from like cool, like really focusing on the creativity and the, the product to trying to do business and make money and make more shit and less about the messaging and the art. And so for me, that transition was the, like I immediately, looking back, I didn't know it then because I was just in it. I was too close to it. But looking back was when I became disinterested.
1: Well, was it was it difficult working, one, with a a group of people, right? There's a lot Mm -hmm. of, of cooks in the kitchen. And secondly, with such close friends.
0: 100%. I mean, both of those things you just mentioned, exactly those two points, Brew, Zulu, myself, Bluster, Song, all of us had very different opinions. We all had different skill sets. Some of us were good at like ideas. Some of us were good at negotiation and business. Some of us were good at... You know, just wrapping our minds around merchandising and how to create lines. I mean, each one of us was good at certain things, but we bumped heads a lot. And um, I think, yeah, like you said, what made it really difficult is we were good friends. So when you love someone, but you have what we considered a baby. It's like having a child. And absolutely. We absolutely. had a child and having did really strong and different opinions about how that child should be educated and grow. Yeah, we, we definitely, like, luckily we're all, we were and are good enough friends that, like, we came through that, but it was close. Like, we, we took some hits. I mean, definitely there was so much tension, I think, at a certain time that we just, we'd come in and, like, we couldn't even look at each other sometimes, but, you so know. So
1: when was it over for you and when was it, like, over?
0: I think for me, I, you know, part of the problem when you are entrepreneurial and have your own company is you have this unconscious fear of if you left or you got hurt or something happened you know again using the analogy of a child that child would die or suffer so i wanted to leave years before i left i ended up leaving i think in 2002 but by 99 i was like i want to leave but i didn't want to let my my people down sure so i didn't i felt like if i left pmb would fall apart and i felt that way about my partners too if one of them left it would fall apart it wasn't that it was me But um, I think in 2002, I was like, I just had it. There was no creative attraction. There was no financial attraction. There was nothing that was, and I had a, you know, my daughter, Sonia, at the time was seven years old. And we weren't really making money. And I mean, nothing was satisfying. And I was just like, I'm fucking done. And at the same time, some of my uh, partners in Japan were like, yo, you want to start a brand? We'll help. We'll finance you. Like, "We'll, we'll do a brand together. Let's do a brand in Japan. So that, you know, it was kind of like those two things happened within months of each other.
1: Well, back then when you started your Japanese brand, that Tokyo was sort of like the epicenter of cool Mm -hmm. for fashion, for art, aesthetics, for urban life. Mm -hmm. What was that like sort of taking your very like American, very New York taste and aesthetic and applying it to the japanese market
0: i think we had something i mean there were were many uh new york-based brands interacting with working with uh japanese brands and um but i think what we are our main kind of idea was everything is completely designed and created entirely in new york city and everything is completely, you know, produced in Japan. You know, it was... And again, it wasn't... There were other people like Stash and Fuge and other folks who were doing that similar thing. But um, for us, it was... Um, we didn't do a lot of computer graphics. We kind of took some of the lessons that we learned, Bluster and I, from B, And we went back to, like, photocopying, you know, hand-cutting letters, like doing things that were a little bit more analog because we had already felt that pressure at that. I mean, it's ironic now we're... You know that was you know twelve thirteen years ago, but looking back at um, you know the digital graphic shit was so prevalent. Um, but yeah, we we took our cues clearly from you know Japanese uh, you know product denim you know cotton like right because the they things. went
1: back to sort of handmade yeah. small runs mm-hmm. and and you apply that
0: and also I mean in in short the graphic language was like. PMB 2.0. It was kind of like revolutionary. It was sort of thinking persons, you know, kind of graphic language. So, you know, that was more of a labor of love. But similarly, I think, you know, within three years that also, even though we were financially doing well, um, our partners who had Financed us and backed us. We're like, yeah, we're taking all our money and investing in this new LED technology. <laughs> you know, so they you're basically like, we're
1: hand cutting letters over here. What yeah, are you doing? Exactly. Yeah, they, <laughs> they they basically
0: were like, you know, we're gonna go make some real money right now. So that kind of ended. in around, yeah.
1: So would you say that you you love fashion?
0: No, no, I'm not a. But because you're a lifer, yeah. You're like think, a,
1: you know, a I think serious... for me,
0: I don't. It's not about fashion. It's about brands. You know, um, and I don't mean that in a just like in a logo kind of way, I just mean like brands I think are like musicians and artists they have a a a life, you know, a birth, a middle a death you know they they kind of have this um and there's something about the creativity fashion commerce business that that nexus that is attractive to me
1: well i I have lately been railing against brands in in a big way because I feel brands are sort of like the new church Mm -hmm. it's the new tribalism Mm -hmm. it's this group group think group think yeah hive mind right it it bothers me right but at the same time there is this need for for tribalism and for people to sort of pick up on unspoken cues Mm. when interacting Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and Brands have made this a very easy sort of like identifiers like, OK, I right. see. I see. You. Like you're in my right. tribe. Like, right. We're cool. And you happen to be working for perhaps the only brand that matters right now, which is Supreme. Mm-hmm. I've watched the, the growth of, mm-hmm. of the company and sort of the, the reach of mm-hmm. the company is so different mm-hmm. than what it used to be how do you feel like culturally being a part of a brand that people will fight like tooth and nail Mm. to be a part of?
0: Well, I think, you know, the thing is that there, you have to separate like everything in life. You have to separate. It's like when you see a musician who's making great music, but they're surrounded by other things happening, you know, controversies or other things that are sort of detracting or taking away from the end result, which is what have they made, what product, what have they produced, what is the music? I always look at Supreme as whatever. Pe- there's a there's a universe of hype and people discussing, critiquing, c- you know, conversing about what's good and bad, what did or didn't happen, why it happened, when it happened, where it happened. But my principle and all of our principles are at Supreme is basically like as long as we make good product and good shit. And meaningful shit, then it's going to be, you know, that in itself is take it as you may, but the things we do. Are meaningful so in that sense we make good things so if we made shitty things and we were just like oh we're just of course making not. Of course, thousands of it's a, it's a of, quality of, you know, it's but,
1: a and and you can you can tell somebody's like labored over this in their mind before yeah. and i
0: don't mean just you know quality like products like a good sweatshirt i mean you know the the everything is thoughtful everything is done with integrity everything is is critiqued to the 10th degree everything you know nothing is done haphazardly or like oh fuck it you know nothing is lazy so for me I, I'm on the inside, and I see it's with 100 percent integrity. I'm not caught up with what people say or you know the, the, the internet or what people are you know the comments. I'm just focusing with our team inside about making good shit. so:
1: If, if you could do anything you wanted to for a living, right? you could turn back the the hands of time and mm. go to veterinary school. Like what do you think you would do differently? Or what would you have liked to explore? Or do you feel like you are on your path and like sort of like art, I, product, like these things are, you know, like they speak to you. I, I, I know they speak to me, you know?
0: Yeah, I I mean, you know, I'm a believer in, I mean, destiny is a broad, is a, maybe too broad general a term, but I believe that. You know, all of our experiences, including back to that experience at 14 of, you know, going to the tunnels with flight and having that, like, every one of these experiences are necessary to, to the next step. I don't, I never had a vision of, like, I'm going to be this one day. You know, I feel like life's been good to me. And life's been good to a lot of the people around me, including yourself. You know, we are fortunate to have had the kind of experiences we've had. And, you know, for me personally, I'd probably, like, if you said, if you weren't doing this, What would you do? I'd probably be teaching kids karate. You know what I mean? Okay. Because like I've studied martial arts all my life. So for me, if I quit tomorrow or I just was like, Yeah, you're good, you're just retiring, I would probably just spend the rest of my life studying and
1: well I know know. you've also sort of like kicked around the idea of of having a very like serious like studio practice and me knowing you, Mm. I believe you in a in a position of solitude don't shine as much as when you interact with other people and you're an incredibly inspiring force um to so many people including in myself and um i owe owe a lot to you i do um i do shut up do you feel sometimes that you you would like to sort of pick up the paintbrush and sort of like sequester yourself off and just make art
0: I mean, for me, art making and, and being an artist has been, again, since I can remember as a as a child, it's always, has been, always will be important to me. I think, you know, two things that I think influence, one, I, one of the reasons, you know, when I was, when Sonia, my daughter, was uh, two, you know, I had a realization, it was a conversation with our friend Days um, about what it means to be a professional artist. And I realized at that something about that conversation, I walked away being like, I got to make some money. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. No, no, and I don't mean it. I, I know.
1: Well, it's, I it's, you know, it's either feast or famine.
0: And I don't I don't mean it like because I aspire to have material No, it's because
1: you have a child. Because I have a child. I and, know.
0: And I, I remember being like, I'm not going to put my daughter, like, I don't want her to say, you know, daddy, I want to go to camp or I want to get this cereal or I want to do, you know, get these new sneakers and me say no. I always felt like... I had to take care of her. And that became, um, and not just that conversation with Days, but a lot of what I was seeing around me made me be like, I'm going to choose the path of working.
1: Well, there's, this, there's a, a a serious amount of selfishness when it comes to being a painter. You have to. And you, you have if, to. If you look at, look at the greats, they had this incredible support system that backed them up. Oh, they could just walk over to the house and lunch would be prepared. And you with being some... a, a on-hand dad and- Uh, how can you fit uh, art in your life being so busy?
0: Well, there's that. But the, the second part is I've realized just like celebrity, just like being famous, you know, what I've learned is when I've seen celebrities and famous people is that it ain't easy. Like to be a successful artist, it's not about talent. You know, that's an aspect to it, but you have to be built a certain way. Anyone you look at, including, uh, A musical artist, a visual artist, uh, anyone who's famous and kind of has made it to that level, you have to have a certain kind of um, a skill set, and you have to have a certain kind. You have to be built in a way that you can you can fight that fight. Me, that's not me. You know, I'm not someone who wants to be. You know, I can't go like
1: you don't want to play the game.
0: I don't want to play that game. So I mean, and I have friends who played that game and played it well, and I'm proud of them. But I realize when I look at them. Just like a lot of people can't do what I do, and look at me and say, "Damn, how did you, how have you done this?" Doesn't I,
1: everybody look at you no, like that?
0: No, 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 no. But uh, <laughs> but I but we but we <laughs> I look at friends who've been successful in the art world, and I'm like, "God bless you." You know, that's awesome. That's not me, because I, I I'm not built that way. I can't. I could not have done what you've done. Talent aside that's not the issue. It's just more about, um, that's a game you play. It's just like being a fashion model. It's just like being a designer. It's just like being a, a musician. You know, one time I remember, uh, I was having a comment. We shot Lady Gaga one day and she walked in and she was just so like, and someone I, I work with or that was with me made a comment, like, you know, she's, it's so easy. And I'm like, it is not easy. Like being her, like being,
1: to this, get to the level yeah, that she's at. And this was work, many, many the, years ago. The scrutiny. Again, the, forgetting I talent,
0: know. just to be that person requires such strength. It requires such fortitude and and grit. You don't get to that spot and you don't walk into that. That shit takes a lot of hustle, a lot of work. And it's a, if that's a kind of work, that's not for me. I have other kinds of work I do, but that work is not for me.
1: Lady West. <laughs> 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 Let's go back to graffiti and and streetwear. Don't you believe that the sort of like the intersection of those two things, which are sort of the 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 building blocks of all streetwear, and streetwear is sort of right like streetwear is fashion. Mm-hmm. That's like what's fashion? Corny. So corny, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, we're comfy. We're comfy guys. That's all we're trying to do. It's not. It's not fashion. Get mm. dressed. Don't you feel? That the street is missing in streetwear now. That sort of like all these brands came from the street. They had a rep. That was an important aspect of being part of streetwear.
0: I, you know, I don't feel that way, and I'll tell you why. I look at you You're know, like
1: everybody's cordy and I'm from the street. No, no, no. no I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel that way, but
0: I do look at I do look like at it as it's a movement. You know, someone who was in Haight-Nashbury in the 60s looked at what happened in the late 70s and early 80s and was like, that's not rock and roll, you know. Fair enough. And and someone who was, uh, you know, in the early days of hip hop in the late 70s, early 80s looks at mumble rap and says, that's not hip hop. You know, it's these movements transform, you know, Um, and that goes for all arts, all movements, political, social, artistic movements. They have lifespans. They rise and they decline. And they transform. So I don't, I look at streetwear from the 90s as 100% separate from what's happening today. There is no connection for me. There are brands, Supreme being one of them, there are entities which have a DNA that threads back to that time. But I don't look at the actual, what we call streetwear as a movement, as a entity today. I don't look at that as being the same as what it was in the 90s. It's just totally different. As there, there is very little that's connected. Um, and again, same way that I look at future, and cool Herc, <laughs> you know, there's right. very little connection. Very little connection. Their intention, their art, the rhythm, you know, nothing about what they're doing is similar. Only that we call it. We call it hip hop, right. but it's really it's radically different. So I don't really look at it, and I don't blame like what today. I, I'm not mad at what's happening today. I just feel like it's not, the, it's just not the same. There's nothing wrong with it not being the same. It's well, it's not.
1: a borderless entry. Like, it, I think it used to be like, where'd you get? How'd you get? How'd you make that Correct. shirt? Like, you Correct. know what I mean? It was Correct. very mysterious. But the same,
0: I think a, a good microcosm of that is sneaker culture. You know, it's okay. the same thing. It's kind of like in those days, you know, in the 80s, you were hunting, literally hunting. And that sounds cliche, but that's like- I know it. The Same way DJs hunted for records. It was like you, you, you had to work hard to wear certain shit you know now there's no working it's just like it's all there it's, well, it's
1: cat it's capitalism yeah. right yeah. and uh, supply and demand correct I, I think we're suffering as a culture from from you know this backlash of capitalism where sort of money and power are the are, are the things that are exalted so high you know I, I think the youth you know they've been brought up on all this major advertising brands are so powerful we learn from symbols it's sort of weirdly our fault in a way that these uh morals are are really what's being like passed down even though individually of course we don't believe in that but i think as as a culture uh, and you know being sort of the parental part of the culture you know i'm going to take that responsibility mm-hmm. for you know, helping sort of solidify that. And, of course, I'm trying to change that every damn day. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to ask you some quick questions. Mm. What is more important, style or bombing?
0: For me, it's style, 100%. You know, I feel like style in the bigger sense, forget graffiti, just in life.
1: Well, I'm um, talking specifically I know. about... No, 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 okay? no, no I know. you like, and bombing in general. I know, but
0: being... Pro- being <laughs> anyone and i don't mean this in a, in a negative way but being prolific and being like having the will to do more um is again that's that's one thing right but being able to create um a unique language a unique style is it's just at a different it's a different um engine it's a different thing so for me style is is the most important thing there are a lot of writers i remember that i'm like their style was at the highest levels um they and did, what about the did.
1: ones the the like stylistically challenged that were prolific yeah. that that became their style wouldn't and, you wouldn't you call that but
0: see I, I i i I won't name names there are a few people I can remember from the subway days who were fucking prolific who were not great, but I look back now and i'm like man they i like I hold them in such high regard I'm like they were fucking doing their thing they were stylistically challenged, you right. know, they didn't have the sort of natural, the, the, the talents, you know, but um, they're just two different lanes. That's all. You know, I don't, very few people have an intersection where they're like, they're great style and they were like the most prolific. I mean, right. there's a handful that were that the greats that are at that level, you know, but yeah,
1: I, I know what your answer is, but I'm sure our audience wants to hear what was the most important time in your opinion of uh, graffiti greatness?
0: I mean, what I, I think most people call the renaissance of graffiti was probably 80 to 83, was or 79 to 83, because the art form reached its highest peak. No one has ever, to this day, reached anywhere close to the... to You know, we live in a... Like hip-hop, like other movements, we're in a state of mannerism, of copying things that have been copied from copies of copies of something. And when you look back at that era... Of the Kells and the Dondies and the Mitches and the scenes. you look back Later. at that time, or just that that era. <laughs> right. Those guys went to the highest level of style writing. There was n- there was n-
1: right. N- they they the, were perpetuating something that was they invented.
0: The f- sophistication, the um, evolution of 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 their letters, of their painting techniques, all of those things. All we've done since then, myself included, is found the little spaces, the little like what's left on the table, like the crumbs to innovate. You know, we've innovated things that were like, but the bulk of it, they did the innovation. They did the, it's kind of like saying, if you looked at any other movement, abstract expressionism, you know, free jazz, anything. And you're like, well, Klein and Pollock and Clifford Still and those guys, they did that. You can still make abstract expressionist paintings, but your room to sort of make space and innovate that art form is very slim. Like you're in a very narrow lane right now. But, um, so yeah, I think 79 to 83, we were like what we call like the lost generation, because we came after that great renaissance. So if you ask a lot of people about my generation, you know, 84 to 86 on the subways, a lot of people don't know what, because it wasn't documented, like Henry and Martha and the the documentarians weren't capturing that the way that they were in the early 80s.
1: Right, because it was new and exciting. And and, and
0: also like it had reached its apex. So I look back now and I really appreciate 84 to 86 People like myself, Poem, Dero, Polk, you know, I look at those people as like, again, they were in a much narrower lane. They were innovating very much more subtle things, but um, amazing production. Like we, you know, we meaning our generation produced a lot of greatness, but in in the shadows of something that was much bigger than what we did, you know? You
1: know, it's it, it's an interesting thing that I I've been thinking about lately. I read an article, I forget who it's by, but... It said that this generation of young people, they're, um, you know, they don't have their own kind of music. They have their parents' music. Mm-hmm. They have their parents' graffiti. Mm-hmm. What can young people do to sort of like break out and create culture for themselves?
0: You know, I, I, one of the things, just to backtrack, that you left out before you talked about what's more important, bombing or style. Or style. But there's a third element, which I think is heavily um, emphasized now as technique. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, not, it's neither. It's just the practice of doing something. It's, it's not necessarily innovative. It's not necessarily prolific. It's just doing it well. Correct. You know, it's refined. It's, at a, it's technically at a high level. But again, back to what we we're talking about movements, graffiti, if you remember, what you were doing, what I was doing, whether it was the streets or the subways, was a nexus of several things. It was creativity, art, but it was also expression. Bombing itself is one of the most primal human needs to be known. You know, that's one-on-one psychology shit. It's like we as humans need to be known. So we manifest that in different ways for young kids who are like, I want to be famous. You know, I want people to know my name. I want that's a very, um, that to me, when I started, that's what it was about. I was attracted to the art, of course, as I mentioned, but a big part of it is like, I want to be known. You know, and all graffiti artists, I don't care who they are. Of if course, they, you there's know, that's, a huge
1: element of narcissism. That's,
0: that's 100%. So, in, as far as art form and lettering and the actual technical aspects of graffiti, as we call it, you know, the lettering arts, that I feel like, again, that lane, that area of innovation has gotten even tighter and smaller. So, in that lane, there isn't much to do. But I think if you take, get back to that aspect of being known, you know, of bombing of that essential sort of like, here I am, you know, you can't ignore me. That I think there is a lot. There is a lot. It's just new ways. You know, kids. F- when we getting back to PNB, we saw PNB as a method of bombing. We did a graphic on a T-shirt. That person wore that T-shirt all over the city.
1: It was absolutely. And I know even that.
0: talking to like cause, you know, for him, one of the things he told me in the in the early '90s was like, "Hey man, when I have one of my toys on someone's desk." you know, or in someone's room, that's a form of bombing. Like, I'm in their space. You know, it might not be a graffiti tag, but it's me in their space. And I feel like it doesn't necessarily have to be writing on walls or, you know, bombing the streets or or any of those traditional methods. Bombing and that need to be known can be achieved in a variety of ways. It's just sort of like rethinking that. But graffiti as an art form, like hip-hop, it's no longer two turntables and a park jam and a mic and you know someone sort it's it's different it's different
1: so fc has has a a style mm-hmm. a specific style mhm 100% i remember when i got put down with fc mm-hmm. congratulations to me
0: mhm
1: uh, <laughs> you told me i should practice writing letters that look like they were being stepped on mm-hmm. so they Mm. leaned to one side Mm -hmm. in this sort of like bending, in bending form. Mm -hmm. Was that a universal truth for all FC? Like,
0: No, I just, uh, I guess for me, a big part of great, if you look at the great masters of lettering, whoever you call the great masters, I know for me, I look at the people who I like the most and a good piece looks like it's moving. Okay. It looks like it's alive. The more, you know, if it's, even seen, you know, white scene, when he would do like TikTok or, you know, block letter pieces, they looked like they were alive because he, he had that energy in his, in, his, uh, in his lettering. And I just, I always feel like when I'm struggling with letters, which can be very static, you know, individual objects, the goal is to take the C, the L, the A, the W and make them one and make them look like they live. So I was with you particularly, but myself and a bunch of other people, sometimes we have a tendency to, to, to be vertical. You know, to just stack. I'm very blocky. You know, stack letters. So Mm -hmm. sometimes when when you're dealing with a much more narrow vertical space, you're forced to make them move left and right, which in turn makes them look like they're in motion. So that's a sort of like teaching someone martial arts with their eyes closed in a way. It's kind of like if you can do these moves without seeing them and just feeling them, you'll get them when you're seeing.
1: When Cause was put down with FC, which I I believe was sort of around the same time that I was, um, his style changed dramatically
0: mm-hmm.
1: were you were you telling him that same thing sort not of that like... exact
0: same thing i don't think you know so everyone's different you know i had mentors many of them um who, who literally taught me like flight one of the things he did was gave me an alphabet uh-huh like i did not know how to piece and he was like here's an a through z practice this um some people and i did that for dash you know, I did that for some people. Like, here is an alphabet to work I like, wish you would have done on. that for me. But, <laughs> but I think you know, causes himself is uh, very astute and just knew. You know, he learned. Like, he He's was a, a very
1: a, fluid, fluid young man.
0: Yeah, and also he had, he was attracted to um, his style prior to sort of being down with us. Didn't it? It didn't have a home, if you will. Like, mm-hmm. it was unique and original. But I think he then applied his one thing about him back to what we were just talking about is his letters have always moved like he's had that part down. sort
1: of like a spaghetti but in right? a good way like, like, in like a good way yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah.
0: and then he
1: thin with the 3d it was very movement but that
0: aspect of like their fluid um and i think he just through osmosis picked up like hmm you know if we fatten those up a little and you know the w is going to go this way and the s is going to go the opposite way Like, he picked up that, you know, and he had that natural, um, as a lot of people who are down with us do, sort of, oh, I got that, you know, the same way I did with flight, you know, just sort of like, oh, I can, yeah, or attack. It's like, I see the, okay, yeah, I can do that, Um, so.
1: So, how do you think, as, as a culture, we can, like, reach out and pull young people in and sort of, you know... I hear a lot of people say like oh graffiti saved my life because it it gave me a purpose mm-hmm. and sort of a lot of people s- strangely got me off the the wrong track like you know when you think about you know it is a criminal activity but it's so
0: you benign know, it's compared funny.
1: to like real
0: I read something real like, crime on Instagram the other day and it wasn't talking about graffiti but it said something like it was talking about like, if you can, you know, write a rap lyric, you know, you can write a business plan. If you can run a gang, you can run a company. And, you know, it was a little corny, but I thought about that for a minute and I was like, definitely my experience in graffiti in terms of running a crew of negotiation, of beef, of all kinds of aspects of things, creating under pressure, um, fame, all of these things that have made me a better business person, made me a better... And a, a, Typically, I mean, we all know a lot of really dumb graffiti artists, and I use that word as literally as I can. A lot. But for the most part, I find graffiti artists highly intelligent, smart, you know, people who are, like, cunning. And I can't tell you how many people I talk with in business who, you know, and I'm talking about, like, VPs and CEOs and marketing directors and all kinds of people at very high levels in companies who, you know, will be dealing with each other for months and then be like, wait, are you... Are you West FC? Did you write graffiti? <laughs> Yo, I'm so-and-so from, from, you know, the Bronx. I'm, you know, I used to hit the Ds with so-and-so. And it's like graffiti artists are out there in the world. They have infiltrated
1: my, big business. My
0: generation, our generation has like, they're in positions of power. And I don't mean it. They're not the only ones, but I'm always surprised. Like, God damn. Well, what would
1: you do if your daughter, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. came home and said, "I wanna, I want to write graffiti illegally, dad? Like, mm-hmm. what would you say to that? like I how mean, can you like move your dad hat to the side and be well, like i
0: just feel like it's so different than what i, I almost wouldn't even know by the to... way she painted her first piece oh, all right i just <laughs> want to say that okay um <laughs> you know for me my my thing is as all parents is really about safety so it's just protecting our children so i'm all about any you know for me it's about passion with children in terms of what you can and can't do. If my daughter came home tomorrow and was like, I want to be a, like the, a world-class knitter, <laughs> you know, or I want to be a world-class like uh, fighting competitor, whatever it is, um, I would support that if she was passionate about it. You know, um, I can't tell, I haven't shared even with Sonia who, you know, who's a grown woman. There's a lot of things I haven't told her, you know, and I won't tell my younger children because I don't want them. I don't want to say. So you're
1: like, do as I say, and not as I do.
0: Not so much. I share a lot with them, but there's certain things like, you know, situations where, you know, many, I, I, not many, but I could count on two hands probably where I came really close to dying. You know, I was, I had a gun in my face or I was in jail or I, you know, something where it's like, I'm not proud of why I was there. I, I don't want you to think that that's okay to do what I did, you know? Um, but there's a lot that I'm cool with you doing what I did, graffiti being one of them. If you were like, yo, I'm going to go out and bomb the world. Cool. Gotcha. You know, just be safe. You know, my mother, I look back, my mother was a junior high school teacher. She knew what I was doing. Right. You know, she didn't say, go ahead, do it. But she also understood, like, she, she, and it wasn't even a blind eye. She was very aware. You know, me coming home at 3 and 4 in the morning, she she let me be me. You know, and I think that's an important thing for parents to do. And you had an older brother. I did.
1: Did your older brother write graffiti? He did not. And what did he think?
0: He told, in a way, he didn't understand it. Okay. Um He was worried for me. Like, I think, you know, i had been arrested several times for different things. But I think the first time I got, like, arrested and, like, came home, and he was like, yo, what the fuck? Like, what are you doing? You know, and um, I You're think like, just
1: be here for me, dude. The
0: last time, I think, he came to see me. I was in uh, 59th Street Precinct in the, you know, below Columbus Circle in the yeah. subway. And they had taken the shoelaces out of my shoes, and they were like, you know, and they—because that was, at that time, that was my last, like— I think that was the offense where it was like you've now crossed over into if there's any other violations, you're doing time. Like you're going to do time just on the strength. It doesn't matter what it is. Like you've crossed over to that. And I think um, he was just worried, you know, older brother shit like, yo, what, what the fuck? But at that time, I think I had already been I was 18 at that time or 17. And I had he had seen it for years and he kind of knew that this was my.
1: Well, it's like a weird secret pride. Thing, it is right, yeah. like you know, you it can't is. really like share it with your family. It is, yeah, in, in um, you know, hundred percent of an honest way because there's too much concern for safety. Thank you
0: um, for pleasure. these these
1: nuggets and gems no, of wisdom, <laughs> and uh, much success on all your endeavors. Thank you. I think that was our shortest interview ever. Well, it's also with our busiest guest, a man who is running around at all hours of the day and night doing his thing, father of three, senior vice president, king of kings. I really enjoyed our discussion today. Isaac really opened up on a level that I was not expecting as both an artist and as a person. And as always, super humble, always giving props to the people that came before him, people that led the way. Thank you for always showing us the light, Isaac. It's greatly appreciated. I would like to thank my guest, Isaac West Rubenstein and I would like to thank my producer Jose Alfaro and Bubbles NYC for making the music you can catch me on Instagram, Twitter Facebook at Clon Money follow my shop at Clonco to get the latest and greatest of what's going down at the store as we have a lot of fun holiday programming going on Check out our kids' brand at Claw Mini and clawmini.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. We need your support. We want to hear from you. Please comment and let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and some potential guests that you would like to hear. We'll see you in two weeks and stop by the shop if he got some cash to drop.